You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Church can sometimes be uh, predictable for some. You know, same people come oftentimes the same week to show up to sit in the same seats. Uh, Week after week, it's the same routine. Uh, Sometimes it's the same songs, uh, same offering uh, to hear a sermon that is similar. But then one week it happens. One week he walks in. One week he walks in, and they can't help it but notice him. I mean, they've heard all about him. Uh, he's that guy. He's, he's the one who's in organized crime. He's a hitman, you might say. Uh, everyone knows who he was. He's even killed some of their own friends. So when he comes in, to say that he felt unwelcome was kind of an understatement. No one knew what to do. They were nervous. They didn't want to talk to him. Uh, They didn't even know if they liked him. They didn't even know if he was really ever going to fit into their group. He came by himself. He sat by himself. He left by himself. He deserved it, they thought. He shouldn't have any friends, especially among our group. He didn't come back for three years to that church. And when he did, the same thing happened again. So he left to find a place that would accept him. Only this time it was about 100 miles away. And when he got there, the same thing happened until one person reached out with him and started to sit with him. This actually happened. These events are real. And similar events happen every Sunday in churches all around the world. The only difference in those stories and this story here is that this is the guy who ended up writing the majority of the New Testament. This is the story of the Apostle Paul. Maybe we need to start seeing Paul as not just an apostle, but as the man for who he was, a man with a horrible past who walked into church and wondered if he would ever find grace and if he would ever fit. In 1 Timothy, which is where we've been starting last week, the Apostle Paul is writing to a pastor of the church in Ephesus whose name was Timothy. And Paul is writing to Timothy, encouraging him and challenging him on how to do church God's way. Now, the word ekklesia is the name of the series because that is the Greek word for church. And it means to gather an intentional gathering to make a difference. And so what we're doing is we're looking at through the scriptures, focusing on 1 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy on the blueprint for ekklesia, which is the church. Now, Maybe we need to to start removing ourselves from what we think about church a little bit and focus in on what God views church to be like. To to understand 1 Timothy a little bit, we need to understand a little bit about the city that was reading this letter. 1 Timothy, again, was written to a guy uh, named Timothy by the Apostle Paul as he pastored the church in Ephesus. Now, here's a little bit of what Ephesus is like. It's the second most important city in the Roman Empire at this time. So by the time that this letter is written, Ephesus is a large, metropolitan, major modern city. It is a major epicenter for medical research, for science, and for religion. In fact, one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world, which is the Temple of Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana, which is this picture right here in the bottom right, is in Ephesus at the time that this letter was written. It's also known for what's known as the Celsus Library, which is, these are the ruins of the library. It was one of the largest libraries in the ancient world. 
Um, and it was able to hold thousands and thousands of scrolls. People traveled all over the world to go to Ephesus to read that uh, read from that library. It had amazing arenas. Look at this arena right here. Look how high it goes up, seating hundreds of thousands of people. They had several of these arenas all over Ephesus. Ephesus was not a little podunk village in the Roman Empire. This was a church in Ephesus. The Ephesian, the, the letter of Ephesians was written to this church as well. This letter, First uh, Timothy, he was the pastor of this church in Ephesus, a major city. It was a busy harbor. It was right on the harbor today. Uh, Ephesus is in ruins due to earthquakes and uh, the Ottoman Empire attacked and the Turks attacked Ephesus and basically became a, a, a big ruin area. But it's in modern Turkey today and it's a major sightseeing location just because of the ancient wonders of Ephesus that used to exist. Now, but at the time it was thriving, it was growing, it was uh, kind of like a Dallas, in fact. You know, Dallas is one of the uh, uh, largest metropolitan areas in the United States, one of the largest. And we are very modern. We're very current. Uh, it's a large religious center here in, in the Dallas area. Think of Ephesus like a Dallas. Large, big, uh, growing, uh, big economy, lots of technology, and a lot of people trying to figure out what it means to know God. So this is the letter to Tim from Paul about how to church God's way in a city just like Ephesus. Well, it was Ephesus. So here we go. Last week it was the foundation of solid Bible teaching, how to know between the bogus teachers from the real deal. This week it's a whole different direction. We're going to pick up where we left off in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Here we go. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me, to, uh, appointing me to his service. Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord has poured out of me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says, here's something you got to know. This is so important. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for the very reason, for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then from there, he dives into a whole new uh, topic, which we're going to talk about next week. This is what I want to focus on this week. Before the Apostle Paul gets into leadership development in a church, before he gets into worship guidelines, before he gets into how to treat others in the church, he, he reminds Timothy, and he says this, before we go anywhere else, man, when we're talking about ecclesia, I want you to know what kind of person I was. I want you to know that you are not to forget, Timothy, don't forget this, you remember what a horrible guy I was? Don't ever forget, this is what church is all about. This is what ecclesia is all about. It's all about guys like me trying to figure out if there's ever going to be a place for me to fit and to find grace. Don't get so caught up in doing church that you forget 
what is the most important thing, and that it's about guys like me, guys like you, Timothy, finding hope for their life. Remember, don't lose sight of this. When he walked in, he knew nothing about the things that were done or how things were usually supposed to be handled. When Paul got first saved and he walked into church, he didn't know the songs. He didn't know the prayers. He didn't know the routine. He didn't even know what offering was or what a tithe was. He, those were so low on the, on the scale of importance. He, he didn't even know if he was supposed to sing, if he was supposed to sit, if he was supposed to kneel. He didn't know why people were shouting. He didn't know why people were raising their hands. He didn't know why there was, what is with the words on the screen? Uh, uh, you know, some of you guys, you walked in like, what is this? You know, is this a church? Is this the movies? You know, we've been here 10 years, we're about to move, but where we're moving, we're creating a new environment, a venue, rather than a church, and it's still going to be a what is this type of feel, because the idea is that this is not about a building, it's not about a place, it's about people, and when he came in, he didn't know, all he knew that is that he was looking for grace. All he knew is that Jesus met him on a dirt road, knocked him off his horse, and said, Paul, I've chosen you to make a difference. Eyes rolled when he walked in the door. Parents moved their kids. People talked about him. It was years later. Years later, they realized something was different. Here's what happened, and you can follow the story in Acts, and you can find it in Galatians, and you can also find it in a couple of his other letters, is when Paul got saved, he was knocked off his horse on the road to Emmaus. He was knocked blind, and God said, hey, get up and go to, this, go to the city, and there's going to be a guy there, a Christian guy who's going to pray for you. And then God shows up, Jesus shows up to this guy, and he says, hey, Paul is going to be coming. He went by Saul at that time. Paul's coming. I want you to welcome him in and pray for him. And this guy's like, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want anything to do with him. He is a violent, vicious, vile man who persecutes us. And Jesus says, just do what I ask you. So they meet. He prays for him. Uh, Paul, uh, he receives his sight back. He was blind from the encounter with Jesus. And he ends up trying to go to church, and he was not welcome. Nobody trusted him. And guess what happened? He went to the desert for three years by himself. The apostle Paul could find no one to help him, to disciple him. So he goes off to the desert for three years, returns back, and uh, the Christians there didn't really welcome him. All the religious Pharisees didn't welcome him. They were all trying to attack him. So he goes to Jerusalem to meet the disciples, and he says, maybe they'll welcome me. And they didn't want anything to do with him either until one guy named Barnabas says, hey, I'll look after you. I'll help you. I'll talk to you. I'll mentor you. And if it wasn't for a guy like Barnabas, there would be no Apostle Paul. Because one guy decided he was worth giving a chance to. Look at this in verse 13. It says, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Mercy means not getting what I deserve. Mercy and grace are different. He says, verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Think about it. If there's a real God out there who created everything, who created the stars and the universe and created you and breathed life into us and says this is how things are supposed to roll and I have all power and all ability to do anything I want. If God tells us the 
this is how we are to live and we disobey, he has every reason, every purpose, and every right to squash us, every right to take our life from us. But mercy says this. Mercy is God saying, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And then grace says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. You see, what we deserve is judgment. What we deserve is punishment for our sins, is our selfishness, destroying our life. What we deserve is God's wrath upon our own poor choices, right? But thanks to the mercy of God, we don't get what we deserve. And you know what? We are to extend that mercy to others as well. Yeah, they hurt you. Yeah, they, they've done some pretty horrible things. Yeah, they've lied. And yes, they've even been destructive and they've been a victimizer. But you give them mercy because God gave you mercy. So we don't give them what they deserve. But then when we come to the cross and we humbly bow before Jesus, he then gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve grace. We don't deserve forgiveness and a new beginning and a chance to start over. We don't deserve a family that loves us. We don't deserve that. But God says, you know what? I love you, and I'm not going to give you what you deserve, wrath and justice and punishment. Instead, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you love. I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And this is what the Apostle Paul was saying. God gave me what I didn't deserve, and thank God he didn't give me what I deserve. You think, well, God, is is he fair? God's not fair. God is not fair because if he were fair, we would all get what we deserve. Wrath, justice, hell. But thank God he's not fair. Thank God that he gives us favor, even though we don't deserve it. That's called grace. Grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. God says, I'm going to give you something, you don't even deserve it. That's why Paul says, you know what? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when I was an enemy of God, he came and gave his life for me. He loved me. And this is the beauty of what he's saying. He says, think about it. If there... If there's anyone who didn't deserve this, Timothy, it'd be me. So we're talking about Ecclesia, and don't forget that this is what church is all about. It's about guys like me not getting what we deserve and then getting God's favor, which we don't deserve. The only reason we are here is because of God's mercy and grace. Every letter Paul writes, he talks about this amazing unmerited favor called grace. So what's so amazing about grace and mercy? Three things that we're going to talk about today. You have to receive it. You have to live it. You have to give it. So let's talk about it. Three things Paul teaches us about grace. When it comes to you, you have to receive it. it. You know, Paul is like the spokesman for grace. You know, he's not just saying, you know, I'm, I'm selling this package called forgiveness. He says, no, I'm not just the apostle. I'm also a member. He says, I, I'm the one who's, who's the first in, who's the last in line who somehow God put up front. And I don't understand why. I want you to understand this when it comes to grace, that real grace frees us from guilt and shame. Look at what he says in verse 13, though I I was, everybody say I was, though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, man, he told it all. Man, he might say, don't bring up my past. You know, some of you are like, I don't want to talk about my past. Don't bring it up. I'm not ready to talk about it. People who didn't know Paul were like, yeah, right. Man, you probably grew up in church. You probably have all things figured out. Man, no, 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 really, I'll show you. Paul says, man, I'll show you some moves. You know, I used to be in a dance crew, you know. 
I'm like, no, you weren't. Yeah. Was he trying to ruin his own reputation? No, he understood he was free from guilt and shame. And by the way, this is how you know you're free from your past. You can talk about it. Because you know that's not you anymore. You are redeemed. And that old man, that old woman, that's not you anymore. And see, Paul knew that. So he was able, and he does in a lot of his letters, he says, this is what I was, this is what I was, this is what I was. Because he was so thankful and grateful for what God gave him in his mercy and God's grace. And, and he's able to talk because he's free. The Bible is full of people who blew it. Uh, in fact, almost every major superstar of the Bible is a guy who, or a woman who blew it. But the Bible tells it all. No whitewash. God's grace frees us from shame and regret. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 8, chapter one, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation, no judgment. The gavel doesn't come down to judge me for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. My past is gone. I'm not condemned anymore. I don't stand before you guilty of my past. I stand before you redeemed of a, with a future. This is so dynamic. This is not just about forgiveness, but freedom from our past, freedom from guilt and shame and regret and foolish choices and bad habits. Paul is telling us that we can be free from the skeletons in the closet. Grace doesn't care where you've been or what you've done. Freedom is not forgetting what you've done. It's remembering who God is and what he has done. Paul did not sweep his past under the rug. In fact, no, he reminded people, yeah, I was like that, but I'm not anymore. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. You know, we all love the before and after photos, don't we? Remember like extreme makeover shows, extreme makeover fill-in-the-blank edition, they had every kind of extreme makeover. And it got to where it was getting more extreme. They'd have these, remember, like, extreme house makeovers? Like, here's the house before, and then they would, like, pulverize it down to the, <laughs> to the foundation. They, they, they were getting, the makeovers were getting so big, they just were tearing down more and more. It's like, no, it's not makeover. It's build a house, right? But you, you get these pictures of people. You know, they used to have the, the ones where the people had their their, their teeth done, right? Remember those? They did the face and they, and like, what a transformation. You know, the house, what a transformation or the weight, you know. We love those, uh, those weight change. Man, how awesome is that? We love the before and after photos. That's the power of the story. And Paul is all about the before and after photos because this is who I was. This is the past. This is the before, Paul. And now look at me now. And I'm not anything special. It's only because of God's grace and mercy that I'm here. But this is the before. This is the now. They're powerful. They're inspiring. I want you to write this down. It's not who we are or what we did, but what Christ has done and who we are in him. This is what grace and mercy is all about. We hear Paul talk about this all the time, and we've heard about this, but maybe we rarely see it or read it ourselves. So let's take a look. In Acts chapter 7, Paul is sanctioned, uh, sanctioned the very first Christian martyr. A martyr is someone who dies for their particular faith or cause. And Paul is the person who sanctioned the very first person to be put to death 
in the name of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and Saul, that's Paul, same person. Uh, Saul was giving approval to his death. The guy who was, who was uh, dying, uh, who was getting stoned to death, was a young man whose name was Stephen. And he was a servant of God, man. And he was a powerful young man in the faith. And he was attacked and dragged out to the city. And he was stoned to death under the sanction of the apostle Paul, Formerly, he wasn't the apostle yet, but sanctioned by Saul at the time. On that day, a great persecution broke out. At the moment that Stephen was put to death, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They began to run for their life. Man, this Saul is crazy. He's, he's chasing us. So they scattered. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began, everybody say, destroy the church. He began to destroy the church. Everybody say, destroy the church. His goal wasn't just to, to just kind of give him some trouble. He wanted to shut him down. He wanted to pulverize him. He wanted to destroy the church. He wanted to destroy Ecclesia. So he began to go from house to house, and he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Acts chapter 9, he says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there uh, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So uh, Damascus was, uh, it's actually the road to Damascus that Paul was on, not Emmaus. That's another story. So he said, man, I want to go to that place called Damascus, and I hear there's Christians over there, and I want your permission. I want a legal right permission to kick down doors and drag men and women off. He goes, followers of the way. You see, before they were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. And we are a living way, and it's in large part because it's an ancient reference to the Acts term. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. So in Acts 26, 9, he says, I was convinced. This is Paul talking about himself. He says, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. And on the authority of the chief priests... I put many of the saints in prison, and there they were put to death. And I cast my vote against them. And many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and beaten. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Why did he try to force them? Because if they could blaspheme, they could stone them and kill them on the spot. He says, in my obsession against them, I went to foreign cities to persecute them. Man, this apostle Paul, before he was a Christian, man, this Saul guy, he was an angry, bad, mean dude. Look at Galatians 1.13, Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, he says, For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy. You see, we often think of, of Paul, the guy who wrote a third of the New Testament, as this great spiritual guy, man, who's like amazing and always had it together and grew up in a good family and, and just never did anything bad. We're like, man, I, mean, just, I just want to be just like Paul. But we forget, we forget who he was. It's important that we remember because that's the purpose of the church. In almost every letter, he says, remember who I am. He's saying, don't forget, this is what we are to be about because people are coming in just like me. That's why grace is all about. It's not about who we are or what we did, but it's about who he is and who we are 
in Christ. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Every person. Every person. I want you to think of the most vile person you can imagine. A person that just ekes you, right? You're just like, ugh, right? I want you to think about that. Maybe it's a celebrity. Maybe it's a real person. Maybe it's a person you know in your life, right? Maybe it's a coworker, a friend, a family member. Man, I'd be fine if I never saw them again. You know what? Christ died for them. Christ died for them. But it doesn't just happen. It must be received. Acts 2.21 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. That means he's not slow in coming back. We're all looking for that day, but it seems like forever, right? He's, it says, no, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know why God's holding out on the return of Jesus? Because he's waiting for you to finally bow the knee to Jesus. He's waiting for that person that you care for and that love uh, that person that you love, and he, he's waiting, he's being patient so as many as possible can turn from their sin and turn to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, uh, and burdened, and I will give you rest. John 1, 12 says, now to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, salvation isn't just free, uh, it costs a little bit of something. It's a free gift. It's given, but it's something that does cost you, and it costs you your life. Jesus freely gives this gift of grace, unmerited, with favor to anyone who will respond, but our response is one of great cost, and that is our life. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. See, there is a, a measure. We're not just saved because Jesus lived and died and rose again. We must receive this gift. That's why baptism is so important. Baptism is all about I am here in my sin, but now I'm washed clean through the blood of Jesus, and I'm dead to my own life. I died to my life. I give it to Christ, and now I'm raised to walk in a new way of life as a follower of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls himself the least of all apostles because of what he did. He calls himself the chief of sinners. And he says, man, if God can reach me, he can reach anyone. Grace and mercy, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it, but you must receive it. Second thing he tells us, not only must you receive it, but you must, you must live it. That means that you are not in charge anymore. This is what it means when we give our life to Christ, when we die to ourselves, and we receive that grace and forgiveness, that means that we are no longer in charge. Look at verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has appointed me, uh, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointed me to his service. Now that word service, you might think it's a different word. Some translations say to his ministry. But basically what that means is he has appointed me to take over my life. He has appointed me to be in charge of my life, to be a servant forever. In fact, some of the words in some of the more ancients are a little bit harder. They don't use the word servant. They use the word slave. We are a slave to Christ. We are dead to ourself. He is owner of our life. He is now in full, complete charge. But thank God he's a good Lord. He's a good master. He says he's appointed me. He has ordained. He has given me this opportunity and called me to die to myself. He's given me grace and mercy. And now he asks of me of everything. He wants my life. 
when someone shows you that kind of mercy and grace, when you receive that kind of mercy and grace, you don't just blow it off. If you're truly understanding of what that mercy that God gave you and that grace that you have received, if you truly understand that, the only way you can respond is with your life. Let me put it this way. If, if, if you were in a fire that was burning down, and somebody came in and dragged you and your child out of that fire and dragged you to safety and brought you back to life, you wouldn't go, high five, bro, thanks, man. You wouldn't just go, man, I really appreciate that. Man, it's good. I'm going to sing a couple songs for you. And I'll give a little bit to the fireman's fund. No, when your life has been given back to you, you're like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What can I do for you? How can I serve this, this group of people that are changing lives around? Man, you are so appreciative. You can't help but respond with this complete and full surrender of what can I do to say thank you? Galatians 2.20, Paul says it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, you know what? I'm dead. I'm dead to Ted, right? I look in the mirror and I'm like, man, Ted, you're dead. <laughs> you know, I used to have like really tall hair. This is rhyming. Ted rhymes with a lot of stuff. And this is one of them. I had really, I had really tall hair. And uh, it was cool then. Uh, and they used to call me Big Head Ted. So I got a few pictures of those Big Head Ted days. But now I'm just dead Ted. I'm dead. I, I'm crucified in Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. That means I'm not boss. I'm not in charge. That means my will and my desires and even my dreams are laid at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he might give them back to me, but ultimately it doesn't matter because I know that whatever God has for me and wants for me is going to be better than what I want for myself. When you truly understand grace, you realize that you're not your own. You're under new management. Our response to grace is, I will follow you. My life is yours. This also means this. It means that faithfulness precedes youthfulness, uh, usefulness. He says this, I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, for he has given me strength. That means Jesus enabled me, empowered me, given me this supernatural strength, this empowerment. He says what? That he considered me faithful, therefore appointing me to his service. He considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. In God's order, because of his mercy and grace, we die to ourselves. We become faithful to God's word. And based on our faithfulness, not our tenure, not our connections, not our skill, not our years of knowledge, but based on our faithfulness, God appoints us for service. You want to be used by God? Be faithful where you are. You want to be, you want to be a powerhouse in the kingdom of God? Be faithful with what God has given you right now, with what God has given you already. Be consistent. Be obedient to what God has called you and placed you in right now. And through that faithfulness, God will make you useful. Why did David get picked to, to lead an army and to be a king? Well, it's because he spent many, many years in the field with a bunch of sheep, caring and tending them. And why did he get that opportunity to stand before Goliath, that giant? Because he also took down a lion and he took down a bear before that. God showed him faithful. Why did three men 
uh, in the story in the book of Daniel stand before God and, and give, be given great authority because they were faithful at cafeteria duty. Because they did exactly what God called them to do. Why did God use those wreck-filled heroes in the Bible? Because of their faithfulness. Here's the last thing. Not only do you receive it, not only do you live it, but you have to give it. That means loving those that Jesus loves. Look at this. He says, here's a trustworthy saying, 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, that deserves full acceptance. That means this is not something that is negotiable. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus didn't just love those around him or just his family, but he sought out those who were unloved and rejected by others. And some of us, Jesus says, you know, it's easy to love those that are, that are loving. It's easy to love those that are good to you. He says, but man, we have been called to love those that are not easy to love, those that are hateful, those that are angry, those that do things that we don't like and that we oppose, that we, that we even morally find offensive. He says, that's the folks I've called you to love. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus reached out to everyone. He reached out to the poor, to the rich, to the popular, to the outcast, to the peaceful, to the violent, to the clean, to the unclean. Those trying their best in religion, those who were running from God as fast as they could. Jesus reached out, pursued, you know, talked to, hugged, prayed with, spent time with, Every one of those types of people. John 15, 12, Jesus says, It's my command to you is love each other as I have loved you. That is done with mercy and grace. Are there people around you that need mercy and grace today? Some of you guys are going to work tomorrow and there's that guy at work or that gal at work. Or you just, ugh, they just drive you crazy. You're hoping that they're not working tomorrow. Y'all know who it is. That's why you left. Some of you like you get family get together and you're just hoping maybe that one family member doesn't show up or you avoid them or you don't want to talk to them or that neighbor or that situation or or that event or you know this man Jesus those are the ones those are the ones Jesus said I put them in your life on on purpose so that you can be an expression of my mercy and grace Paul says, don't forget, Timothy, church, yeah, man, we can do a band, and we can have screens, and have cool media, and lights, and stuff, man, and we can build a cool place over there, and renovate, and stain the floors, and man, we've been doing a lot of work on it, he says, yeah, that's all cool, but it's not about that, he says, Timothy, it's about people like me, looking for Jesus, who Jesus met on a road when we were running from God and hating the things of God and hating God himself. But God intervened, and when he does, I went looking for somebody, Timothy. I went looking. And at first I didn't find any, but thank God I finally found some people that would love me. And he says, Timothy, that's the kind of church Ephesus needs to be. That's the kind of place that Living Way needs to be. Jesus was condemned for who he hung around with. And we are to hang out with those same types of people. And it was given to me. And I want to give it away. Paul's ex Paul experiences this firsthand. Look at how he says this in his life in 116 of 1 Timothy. He says, but for that very reason, 
I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Man, he says, this is what it's about. Man, God showed me so much mercy and grace for this very reason. So that I would do it too. For those who might believe and who might receive Jesus. This is why you have been given grace and mercy. For those that you have yet to meet. For those that have yet to walk into the, to the place called Living Way, the Vive, or the Vive. You know, this, this, is, this is why you are born again. Not just for you. Thank God that you were, but there are so many more out there that are just like you, that were just like you. And now Paul is saying, Timothy, don't forget, this is what ecclesia is. Can you love others the way Jesus loves? Christians often struggle with this one. I'll be honest with you. We want to take a stand against immorality, and we want to hold up godly standards, which is good but we end up shooting down others and alienating ourselves from those Jesus came to reach. So how do we do this? With grace and with mercy. We give mercy. We don't give them what they deserve, but we do give them what they don't deserve. Grace, God's love, God's forgiveness, a chance, an opportunity, an arm, a prayer, a smile, look in the face, a coffee, a dinner, a meal. Fill in the blank. It's kindness. We like to dress up for church. We smell better. We act better. We pretend to have it all together and then judge others who don't. We're missing the point of ecclesia. Paul is saying, don't forget who I was. Church is to be a place where anyone, anyone, everybody say anyone, where anyone can come and feel loved and this is the result. This is the last thing. Is if we can give it, this is what happens. It results in giving thankfulness and worship to God. He says, after he says all this, he says, now. He says, man, he says, now. Because of what God has done for me, now. He says, because God gave me grace and mercy, now I can't wait to give grace and mercy. Now, he says, now. After all this, now, he says, to the king eternal immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Man, there's a lot of theology in that verse. We're not going to break it apart, but man, that's intense. To the king, eternal, immortal. That means he's not a man of flesh and blood like you and me. Jesus was the eternal, existent God who became flesh and blood so that we might know this invisible, immortal king. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus, who is spirit, became flesh so that we could know this invisible, immortal, eternal king. He became flesh and blood. And the Bible says he rose again as the son of man. That means in the flesh. And Jesus sits on the throne for the rest of eternity so that we can touch his hands and touch his feet and feel the arms of Jesus around us. Man, Jesus gave his life on the cross, but he also gave up an invisible existence and became flesh and blood so that we could know him one day and see him face to, see him face, to face. He walked in our shoes. The very God that breathed life into the dust had the dust between his own toes. It's pretty amazing to the king eternal. Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory, 
not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but forever and ever and ever. And the word amen is so be it, let it be done. Remember what I did. He tells tells Timothy, remember what I did. He goes, now think about it. Okay, now remember what God did. Now, thank God. It came at a high price, given freely, but amazingly expensive. Because of what he did, I live with thankfulness and worship. So when we come in here, we're not patty cake and songs to Jesus, y'all. We're not practicing for the message. Some of you guys, man, you, you meander in, you know, just in time for some of the message. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're just out there fellowshipping, you know, and trying to get to know people. And that's great. Yeah, as we move, we're going to even have more opportunity for that. But don't miss that chance to be thankful. Don't miss that chance to lift up your voice with those around you who are the redeemed. Don't miss that chance to say, Jesus, to the King eternal, to the one who is immortal, to the invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. I'm not going to say, hey, when's this song over? I'm going to be, thank you, Lord. Why does it have to stop? Because we have to be out of here about 1130. We're going to have some freedoms over there, but we, when we go to multiple services, we'll still be time conscious. But, you know, we need to take advantage of that worship time that we have. We're not singing songs. This is not song time. This is God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. If you have, if you have trouble, if this is for Christians only, if you're a Christian, This is for you. If you have trouble worshiping, consider this. Maybe you forgot who you are. You got to the place where you actually feel like you deserve this. What a dangerous place of arrogance and pride when you feel like somehow I deserve this this love of God, this salvation, somehow I deserve this Christ. You don't. But thank God he gave it to you anyways. Maybe you forgot who you are. And maybe you forgot what you've done. And you forgot what kind of person you are in your heart and in your mind. And here's the second thing, or maybe you forgot what he's done. You forgot his grace. You forgot his blood and his passion. You see, as we read through 1 Timothy and discover God's church, his way, Paul is reminding us, before we get there, we must remember who church is for. We all have stuff that we bring to the altar. And maybe one of these is you.
in this room who need grace and mercy, people like me, people like you, who don't deserve it, we can't earn it, or live, ever live up to it, but we can receive it, and we can turn to it, and we can then in return live and give and walk that out. So the web is full of all kinds of anti-church sites, people who are burned, who are left. The main theme is how Christians treat others they could only see the grace and mercy of God. That is Ecclesia. So as we begin to wrap up the season in our theater, I think next Sunday, we're going to, I'm going to say by faith, next Sunday is our last Sunday here. Uh, it's because everything they need to do, they can do in like a three-day period. And so we're, it's all about getting a permit within the next two weeks. So we're targeting next Sunday as our last Sunday. And we begin a new chapter in Living Way. We've always been a very warm and welcoming, come as you are type of church. Uh, but I want us to continue that heart and that attitude that we live out as people of grace and mercy. And I want to pray for you if you need the grace and mercy of God. You need to bring that stuff today. Some of that stuff on that video, you need to bring it. And know that God will receive you and he will take that and he can work in your life in spite of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for a, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, God, for giving us what we don't deserve when it comes to forgiveness and hope and a fresh start and new beginnings and, and healing and uh, Lord, God, thank you for your mercy. God, some, sometimes you, you even take away the consequences of our poor decisions, but God, thank you for your mercy that ultimately we don't receive the justice of God for our sin if we bow the knee to Jesus. So Father begins right there at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that's where the beginning of that journey starts. That's where it all begins, is at the feet of Jesus, where you lay down your stuff, lay down your stuff, your heart, your things, your failures, your successes, your regrets, your 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 accolades, where you lay them down and say, Jesus, here's my life, take it all, take everything I have, and in return, can I have your life? So right now, where you're at, will you just take a moment and say, Jesus, here's my life. I lay it all at your feet. In your own words, especially those of you that are ready to say yes to Jesus who haven't done so yet, say, Jesus, here's my life. It's at your feet. Have it all. Take it all. Might even tell him, God, I don't know what that means fully, but I know here I am and I'm ready. God, here's my life. Here's all that stuff, God, that I'm afraid of and worried about or the things that I hold on to or the things that make me proud. But, God, they're the things that God might that might hold me back if I don't just let them go. So, God, here they are. Here's everything that I have. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I receive your grace, your mercy. Thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name. Now I want to pray for those of you in this room that are Christians, that you would hear this word today and live this out. God, I pray for those of us in this room that tend to be judgmental, that tend to be harsh, that tend to be maybe mean-spirited. God, I pray that you would remind us of who we were and what you've done. Help us to live thankful lives filled with worship and humility before everyone around us, extending grace and mercy, even to those that are hard to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.